April 5th, 2007. Coming up, we're having a conversation with Jason Williams about bringing AppleTalk filing protocol to Linux. And then it's news from support, right now on Novell Open Audio. Welcome to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell user community with what's going on inside and around the Novell universe. I'm your host, Ted Hager. And I'm Caitlin Yans. And Caitlin Yans, I got a question for you. Uh-oh. Did you see videos at BrainShare? I did. What? They were super cool. Okay, so which one are you saying is cool? I like the Linux ones. The you Linux like the Linux Mac ones? The, one. So the one that's based off the Get a Mac commercials that Apple did, but we put in there a woman for Linux. Yeah. Good move. You like that? Yeah, I was happy with that. You you were pleased with that. Okay, good. <laughs> good. Because, you know, uh, I've gotten all kinds of, like, I, I did a big blog post on it about what, how that happened and things. Most of it is a really good amount of spin that makes us sound really smart. But um, <laughs> truth of the matter is it was kind of serendipity. She was actually originally an extra on the set, and it wasn't working with a guy. And we ended up swapping her out or for the guy that was going to play Linux. And it just changed everything. It was so much smarter. So I but, think the dynamics of it worked really well. Yeah. So um, we had somebody actually write in. One, Carlos Lange, or Lang, Lange, I'm not sure. He's, uh, apparently, did you know California actually has its own domain uh, extension now? Oh, like I do? a .com or whatever? Yeah, there's a, apparently a .ca. That's not Canada? Okay, you caught me. Okay, okay. he's from... He's from <laughs> <laughs> Carlos is from University of Alberta, I think it is, uh, which I think that's what his domain name is here. But um, anyway, he wrote in to us to say, it's nice to see the big red N promoting Linux. These videos are nice. And he gave a bunch of YouTube links to him. And he said he found a whole bunch of other ones on YouTube. And he says, how come we haven't heard of these cool video ads before? Hmm. So we're going to have to, I guess, link to all of those from this show here. Well, that'd be good because they're really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, a good mention from BrainShare. Your BrainShare was good? My BrainShare was great. Okay, then. What do we got today? We got a um, couple different things. We've got uh, this Apple Talk filing protocol thing coming up as one of our interviews. Oh, really? Who are you yeah. interviewing for that? Actually, it's kind of weird. Jason Williams came up here. We had everybody cancel out of our meetings, including you, oh, for, for the recordings. <laughs> um, we were going to interview a couple different people, and now we're stuck with this one thing. But it was Jason Williams that came along and actually saved us because he actually had a big announcement about Apple Talk filing protocol on Linux and that he's gotten some funding to make this happen. Oh, wow. That's very cool. So, yeah, and apparently there's an open source project out there that's uh, not quite sufficient to what a lot of people are needing. Anyway, we got that coming up and we got news from support coming up, but I wanted to mention a couple events that are happening coming up. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one is... Linux Fest Northwest is going to be happening at the end of this month. Anybody in the Pacific Northwest area, I've already gotten a blog comment from somebody who's driving all the way from Montana to Bellingham, Washington. Wow. So, yeah, there's this uh, there's this cool community event that happens up in the Northwest. And so I want to let people know if you're anywhere in the Pacific Northwest, even if your name's Brandon Fouts and you're one of our Puget uh, Sound Novell Users Group members, we'll see you up there. I'll be actually presenting up there. And then there's another event coming up in Austin, Texas, which is the real basic developers conference called real world and that one is going to be going on as well so i want to let people know about those two things so what are you presenting when you're up there um i think i'm presenting on virtualization up there in bellingham and i was really trying to get aaron hooked into this you know aaron knows all the virtualization stuff and 
I usually lean on him like that, but now I've got to actually learn it all before I go up there and do my presentation. Ah, you'll be right. It should be a fun one. But down at Real World, I get to present on my favorite SUSE Linux Enterprise desktop. So, oh, and Linux desktops in general, and why people should develop to them. But anyway, that's what we've got coming up here. Now, you've had Caitlin, you've had a conversation with somebody who you're trying to line up for uh, an interview. I think next Tuesday, correct? Oh yeah, Mr. Greg K H. Greg Crow Hartman. Tell what what does Greg do? He is a Linux kernel driver programmer. Okay, so he does drivers mostly. He posted something on his blog recently about uh, how the kernel team will actually develop drivers for hardware vendors who need Linux drivers for their hardware, right? Mm, that's correct, yeah. What, and you took a training class with him? Yeah, he was in Utah um, about two weeks ago now, and he gave us a training over in Supportland, and it was really good. What was it on? We had a two-day training, and the first day he was going over um, – how things work in the open source community and if you want to develop device drivers, the, I guess the, the hierarchy with how you actually get it published. And then the second day we were um, writing a device driver for a USB thermometer, which was really cool. <laughs> You guys actually had – you had to write a – Yeah. He, you know, I mean, he, he, he gave us kind of the outline and then we put all the stuff in. And so we had this we had this Linux um, device driver for a USB thermometer and it was very, very cool. Now at the kernel module level because that's what you're doing at uh-huh. writing this. You're writing a kernel module. You're writing straight C code in that case, right? No yeah. C++ or anything like that. It's just C, yeah. right? And you're, you're able to do that kind of stuff? Oh, with a bit of help. Okay. <laughs> a bit of, but, you know, I mean, if you if you start getting into it, it, you find that it's not really that difficult, and it's actually really fun. Cool. Well, that's good. So we're going to talk to him on Tuesday, and that will be on our upcoming interviews list uh, as of the posting of this episode. So if you want to ask any questions of Greg KH, uh, definitely post something on the website. Just find it in the upcoming interviews. And with that, should we get into uh, finding out what Jason Williams has to say? I think that sounds like a great idea. All right. Here comes Apple Talk Filing Protocol and his update from Jason Williams. Jason, what brings you to the studio today? Oh, Ted, what brings me to the studio today? Something that will make glad the hearts of many people out there, and mainly the people that I and others bumped into at Brainshare this year. Yeah, you got clubbed by quite a few Apple users, correct? Well, there were two types of Apple user actually at the Brainshare this year. The first type of Apple user were sitting down using their MacBook, MacBook Pros, iBooks, etc. The second were actually brandishing them and threatening to do me bodily harm by hitting me over the head. I see. And you would only have your own Macintosh to defend yourself with. Well, luckily I have the 17-inch MacBook Pro, so I kind of had the shield up, but it was still pretty painful and I actually kind of limping still from the whole thing. So what were they upset at you for? What were they asking so we had a, quite a few people saying, you know, when am I going to have an iFolder client and when's GroupWise going to catch up and everything else. And, you know, something we got those covered, you know, GroupWise Bonsai is going to have a Mac client that's equivalent okay. to the Windows client. We have an iFolder client, a real one, coming. But you know what the number one request was? No, Apple I don't. Filing Protocol. Ah, the AFP, Apple Filing Protocol. Absolutely. So they want that, of course, the way NetWare used to handle it years and years ago, and still does today. They want that on Linux? So they actually want a little bit more than that, would you believe? I mean, not only are they saying we want what you had on NetWare and have on NetWare, but we actually want more, particularly this is the resource forks. 
for those people that don't know, a resource fork allows you to double-click a file and launch the corresponding application from a network drive. You're used to it in Windows and Linux because of a file extension. Apples don't work on a, the file extension basis. They actually work on metadata contained in the file. So what our customers are saying to me was this. Well, let's take a sec there and let's summarize that real quick. Apple, its original file systems that it came out with on the Macintosh had two forks within a file. They had the resource fork and they had the data fork, correct? That's it. And you're getting at the, this resource fork here is what people want access to over the network. Absolutely. When Right now, if you're using the, the Samba or you know, SIFS protocol from OS X, OS X, what will happen is that when you double-click a file on a network drive, you don't get access to that resource fork, only the data fork. So what occurs is somebody goes to double-click a file on a network drive to open it, it doesn't open because there's no corresponding application information from the other fork of the file, which contains the application metadata. So normally a Macintosh grabs the resource fork and gets which application it's supposed to load from that and then pulls the data over the network. And you have to have a networking protocol that supports that. You're saying Samba or SIFS does not. That's right. This is that funny little squiggly line file that you see after you mount it onto a Windows system. That would be it. You actually see a little underscore squiggly file information that's actually embedded, thank you, Mike, <clears throat> uh, directly into the, uh, into the application. So, yeah, if you can look at the package contents and stuff, it, it, so for Windows users, it looks really odd. But for Apple users, it looks absolutely accurate. So now if you've, you know, cr say, created a, a document from a particular application that's on a network drive, when you double-click that, then it returns, first of all, the information about the app, the application launches and reads the data stream. So that's what our customers have asked for. And Why doesn't Samba do it? Um, because quite, well, frankly, Samba's interested predominantly in the, the Windows world of doing things. The old it's, server message block way of sharing files. Absolutely. And also, if you think about it, what's accessing uh, over Samba is 90% of the time it's going to be either a Linux desktop, such as SLED 10, which will use the application extension to pull open the correct file or another association to do it. Or it will be Windows, which does it exactly the same way. Uh, when a, a Mac comes to access a network drive, then that file extension may not mean anything. It can use it that way, but there are other applications that have no extension to it, and therefore you actually need the resource fork in order to actually pull the file open. Now, I'm going to get email from people saying, well, that's not quite the way it works, and yeah, I, I understand that. We're simplifying I'm for the podcast. We're simplifying for the podcast, otherwise we could be here for another three quarters of an hour discussing this. So let's cut to the, the whole meat. Uh, yeah, what are you going to give people? That's what I want to know. So what I'm going to give people is this. I heard you. Loud and clear, we have our OES2 beta, or beta sites, said the same thing. So we have a committed project to produce a fully functioning, fully integrated AFP stack on Linux uh, no sooner than OES2 SP1. Uh, I'm not giving a time frame right now because we're still working <laughs> on it. So service pack one of OES2, and OES2 is only in beta right now, correct? That's right, yeah. So there is absolutely no chance we can get this for the initial ship of OES. It's just not going to happen. Also, because we're still working out all of the engineering details, quite frankly, I can't commit to a time frame. What I am saying is that I am confident we should be able to get it around the SP1 time frame, but I'm saying no earlier. So if it just so happens we need extra time on this, it could be a little bit after SP1. So, so you're saying, if I get this correct then, that 
the brain share attendees and the beta slash beta customers have spoken and you actually listened yeah funnily enough i did get out of my studio no (laughs) i can't do that well i I could i'm just not going to so i'm here now and so are you so that's just bad luck um think about it last year we went to brain share i wasn't going to do a dns or dhcp integrated server uh, integrated to e-directory on linux our customers spoke and guess what this year we said yes we're doing a e-directory integrated dns and dhcp We've had people coming up saying they needed AFP on Linux for the last couple of years, and frankly, we haven't had a huge number of requests. This year, enormous requests. So it's your next, it's your next road to hoe here. It is. That's okay, it. there's a question that applies, I think, in this space. I think there's a project called Netatalk or something like that that is supposed to be providing the whole AFP on Linux side of things. Is that correct? Yeah, you're right. There is a, an open source project out there. Uh, in fact, is in, included in the SLES 10 and was included in the SLES 9 code base. So SUSE Linux Enterprise Server has it on there? Yes, it does indeed. Um, we've, we've looked into this, and it's actually shipped in the, in the base, as I said. When we investigated this, though, what we realized is the fact that we already have a large proportion of the code that we need existing in NetWare. NetWare already has an AFP stack, and we already have the majority of that code. Um, When we looked at the project, we realized that probably wasn't the road we wanted to go down, and it was better for Novell to, in fact, take the bulk of the code that we already have. Um, There are a lot of reasons for doing that. When you say the code that we already have, you're not talking about the Netatalk code. You're talking about classic NetWare and the AFP services that were available for NetWare. Absolutely. This is the NetWare AFP stack that was part of what was the uh, multi, multi-protocol file access pack and then was rolled up into NetWare 6.5. So the idea is to take the code that we'd written for NetWare and actually port that to Linux and then add in the things we need to make it successful. Okay, so then you won't be jumping on board a project that already exists out there. You see limitations, and we actually are ahead of that. That's why That's why you want to go with the code that we have, correct? In fairness, the code that we already have is quite a way advanced from Netatalk, okay. uh, both in scalability and, and other terms. So then the next question, of course, logically comes out of that is, if this is going to go on Linux... Do you have plans yet on whether you're going to put this in open source or not? You know, I think it's kind of too early to answer that question directly. We're still in the scoping phase. Uh, Obviously, when I come back to talk to you again, uh, I hope to have those questions answered. I will say that I've not closed any door. So all the doors are open from the point of view of proprietary, open source, closed, GPL'd, whatever. So, uh, But I, I can't commit to anything at the moment until we get those worked out. And there's always the issues like whether the code is able to be open sourced yet. You have to scrub through the code and things like that. If it's been proprietary for a long time, you have to know whether you've got your your IP ducks in a row, I guess. You know, we still have to do some due diligence on that one. Okay, so then I think that's pretty much the news that you wanted to give, though, is, hey, we're building something here. We're doing all this stuff right now. We're a long way from this getting ready for beta or anything, so we're not asking for beta customers yet. But I'm sure that there are listeners who are going to say, oh, but they got to remember to do this and they got to remember to do that. How do they get the information to you guys? So I've created a new email address. I've created. I've magicked it from uh, any empty space. You called up IS&T. I did, and requested that our IS&T department create a new email address called A. FP feedback at novell.com. 
I will be the one that's reading the mail there, so please be nice, gentle, kind, don't swear and, and say silly things. AFPfeedback at novell.com. What I'd like to know is, what do you need from the functionality of this stack? Uh, what operating systems will you be using against it? Clearly, I'm going to test against uh, OS 10, probably like 10.2, 10.3, 10.4, and ultimately 10.5, but are you still using OS 9? I'm actually hoping the answer is no. But I need to know how many people are going to be using OS. There will be some schools again. and things like that that are going to tell you that, of course. Uh, in addition to resource forks, what else do we do we need to support? I cannot guarantee to do printing. I will likely rely upon the iPrint client for for uh, OS 10 uh, to do that. Uh, so because you know AFP can provide some simple resource forks. I don't know about Apple Talk zones. All sorts of different things like this. So there's lots of information that I actually need to make sure this is successful. So this is a call-out, not only a piece of information, but a call-out to the listeners of uh, Novell Open Audio that are interested in this to, to give me your feedback. Structured, clear, polite, nice, and... Uh, Non-abusive is what you're saying? <laughs> basically, yes. You know, I know the listeners. I know they won't be. But uh, it's it's always... I like the feedback. We need the feedback this time around. I... Uh, the engineering team is already working on it, so we just need that. AFP feedback at novell.com. Email Jason if you'd like to. You can also watch for Jason's blog, which we'll link to from this show, and he'll probably be talking a little bit about the project and how it's shaping up through his blog. And, Jason, we invite you back uh, at some point to give us an update on how the project's going. And I fully intend to do that. The uh, The very last thing I just want to say whilst I, you have me in the studio again. I feel like I've already dismissed you. Uh, you have, but I'm not listening to you. So no change to the uh, normal. All right, mode. proceed. Thank you. Which is a huge thank you to everybody at BrainShare this year. Those of you that went in person, uh, those that attended virtual BrainShare, those that were just there in person, that watched the keynotes across the streaming web, those that just basically were there one way or another. It was a terrific, terrific show from uh, an OES and workgroup business unit point of view, as well as just Novell as a whole. Uh, but specifically, obviously, I'm thinking about my products. I'm selfish that way. And say that it was a, a terrific show. We had some great feedback, some great commentary. And, you know, it was, it was possibly the, the best show for, for years uh, that I've attended from the point of view of just customers coming up, saying thank you and giving us the feedback. So I'm going to return that favor and say a huge thank you to everybody that attended BrainShare for whatever reason you attended. It was, uh, it was a great show, and we really do appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much, Jason. So we'll look forward to hearing from Jason again in the future on the AFP protocol. So you know what happened, Caitlin? No. Tell me, Ted. I got an eye exam done. I got my eyes checked out. You gone blind? I, I Actually, I have a nevus in the back of my eyeball. What's a nevus? A, a mole. Really? Yeah, seriously. Is that like a larger, from a they, larger expanse thing yeah, that's happening further back? They have to monitor that. <laughs> <Shut> <laughs> See, you made Mike the audio guy crack up even. <laughs> no, I've got this like thing on the back of my eyeball that they have to monitor for the rest of my life. But my vision is starting to go wonky. 37 years old, I guess that's when your vision starts to just go all weird on you. So I'm getting my first prescription eyeglasses now. Oh, really? No, you know what? That's, it's not actually that bad a thing, Ted. Do you wear, I've never seen you wear glasses. I have little glasses that I wear in front of the computer screen that stop the glare so that it's... Granny a, glasses? 
Yeah, they're kind of like little granny glasses. They like got these they're funky orange lenses in them, and they stop the glare. Yeah, it just makes it easier on my eyes because I don't want to kill my eyes. So I think I'm, I'm needing similar stuff there. I, I apparently just have astigmatism, which I thought I've had all along, but my vision's no longer working as well as it used to. I have to get the glasses, and here's the thing I don't like about going to get glasses. I didn't realize this beforehand. Did you know the whole industry was just all name brand this and name brand that? No. Y- yeah, apparently you can get Hummer glasses. Like in fact, that's in the car, Hummer? Yeah, named after the car, the, the egregiously large, Horrid. offensive, horrible yeah. military machine. Yeah. Uh, apologies to anybody that happens to drive one of those. The global warmer. The glasses... They make glasses. Are they like big and chunky? Yeah, and then there's Harley Davidson glasses as well. But the, but the yeah, they're big and chunky as well. Um, the Hummer ones are. Yeah. Uh, but no, the this is the part that really bothers me. When you're getting glasses, you don't, you know, you're already feeling old. And when they put a brand in front of you like Fossil, which, uh, seriously, this <laughs> happened. They put Fossil in front of me. No, you can't do that on principle. Exactly. You can't it's it's like, couldn't couldn't you come up with a nice name that's the, like implies young and like still limber, despite that you're getting glasses? But Not do something. Do you know that there might be added bonuses to the whole thing, Ted? People might actually look at you and think that you're a little bit cleverer. They might think I'm smart now. Yeah, which, you, you which know. that's yeah. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so here's the other thing I wanted to mention to you. Have you heard about the curse of Novell Open Audio? No. There is a curse of Novell Open Audio, apparently. Really? Yeah. Well, you've seen Aaron. Well, you've seen Aaron come in with various bodily oh, parts and yeah. stuff. Yeah, you know, I've been pretty good on that. I haven't done any damage to myself lately. since since your mountain biking accident yeah, long I've before been... you started on Novell Open Audio, right? Yeah. On I, I was shoulder surgery, but that wasn't to blame for me. Right. Well, Aaron had the shoulder surgery. He had the thumb surgery, and people have heard it. They've heard our saga. They've even heard about my knee um, problems where I broke my MCL or. What's tore it? That's the proper term. Where I tore my MCL. Um, my boss, Troy Money, eh. the day after brain share, or maybe two days after brain share, managed to break both his tibia and his fibula in his leg. Oh. He's now on crutches, with, had to have surgery and everything else. And oh. I think that there is a curse of Novellopin Audio. I, oh. I know I'm a scientific thinker, rationalist, all those kind of things, but there is a curse of Novellopin Audio. Guess where he did it? Where? The skate park <laughs> up in Orem. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. So apparently there is a curse of Novell Open Audio. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Now we can check out news from support. <laughs> Let's do it. It's time now for news from support with Randy and Dave. Randy, how are you? Great, Ted. Thanks. Good to see you. Dave? Are you even in support anymore? I live there, but I now work for Samba. I uh, work on the Samba team for Sousa Labs. You're in Sousa Labs, by the way. Congratulations. That's Thank great. Because now you're hanging out with, uh, well, maybe not on a daily basis. All the real but, weirdos. Yeah, 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 the real weirdos. <laughs> you got a lot of different people uh, from Prague, from uh, Nuremberg, from Australia, from Portland, from just all around the world. I'm in Utah, and my boss is in the Czech Republic. That's great. Who's the boss? Uh, Wojtek Pavlik. You working for Wojtek? I am indeed. Awesome. That's very cool. And I'm going to be over in Prague in May uh, doing some work with the Kernel team. The really? The Sousa Labs Kernel team. Uh, so I finally get to meet him. If you can bring back somebody that looks just like Denise Milani for me, I'd love it. Maybe some uh, Czech beer. There's going to be somebody the out there Googling Denise <laughs> Milani now. Um, anyway, what do we got this week? Well, 
We're just finished BrainShare. So obviously all Novell customers were at BrainShare, so there are no new issues. There's almost nothing new in the support database, so I have two TIDs, and both of them are interesting because they're configuration problems. They're not actually bugs. Which suggests that the people that actually filed these bugs and uh, had these technical information documents written for them probably should have been at BrainShare. Probably should have been. All right, so what are they? Well, the first one is wireless uh, card and USB devices are not recognized. So the user does an install of SUSE Linux Enterprise Desktop 10, and after rebooting, completing the install, no USB device is detected, and the wireless card isn't detected. This one was kind of interesting because when they did the, the install, they selected the ACPI equals off option, and that's the advanced configuration and power interface. Well, that's right when you're doing the install as well, right? You that's boot right. off the CD and there's installation, then there's installation with ACP disabled. That's right. And because they did that, that became the default configuration, so there's no ability to discover, detect the USB and uh, wireless devices due to the configuration. Now, I've got a little bit of the idea on that. It makes some logical sense to me, but let's dig into it a little bit. Why is ACP or ACPI or Advanced Control Power Configuration Interface, whatever it is. Um, advanced Configuration and Power Interface. Thank you. Why is that? I guess it's not just a power thing from just the name, Advanced Configuration and Power Interface. So it actually does the job of detecting devices as they get plugged in and removed and that kind of stuff? It's the facility you use to detect the devices. It's not the source of the detection. It's the, the thing you go to it's for like you to detect the devices. The kernel module or, or what? There's a kernel component that uh, lets you access the AP, ACPI features on the host, on the computer. And if you use those services, you can discover what devices are out there. And that's the way Linux does this device discovery. And this poor person made the mistake of turning that off right at the install, so nothing from there on worked well. That is correct. How'd you fix it? Uh, you go into uh, YAST and select the system uh, options. Look at the bootloader options. And the there's a section management tab. And the SUSE Linux desktop, Enterprise Desktop 10 option, if you select that and press the edit button, there's uh, an option for other kernel parameters, and in there you'll see the extra command line parameter, ACPI equals off. If you remove that and press OK and reboot, everything's back to normal. So it's not like you have to totally reinstall again. There is a solution to this, yes. but you got to dig pretty deep. And, and that's using the GUI. Now, we've had our discussion of why to use the GUI, but also you know somebody could just as easily those who know the command line could go in and vi slash boot slash menu.lst oh sc uh, excuse uh, me uh, slash boot slash grub thank you slash menu.lst <laughs> and remove that very same section from the or line. at boot time uh, when the options are shown uh, you can go ahead and uh, select the boot options they're at the bottom of the screen when the bootloader menu is shown just backspace through the ACPI equals that off. would be a temporary fix and a, that would, that would fix trial. it every time but you'd have to do it every time right but you'd at least let you uh, see is this where the problem yeah. is before mm. you actually make a permanent change it's interesting because you think of this customer who must have been there thinking what is wrong here and I'm sure it's one of those cases where you can't see the wood for the trees but I, it's a little bit amusing to me to read that one because uh, it's in hindsight, it's really obvious, but... It's so unlike you, Dave, to actually feel a little bit superior to somebody for their <laughs> lack of technical knowledge. 
I'm not, I'm not suggesting that the person who had that problem had uh, a lack of technical knowledge, but I would like to say that that, I think, qualifies as one of those cases where if this was your tid, let us know, newsfromsupport at nobel.com, and we'll send you a T-shirt. <laughs> awesome. So what's your second one? This one's kind of similar. Uh, unable to connect to a Cisco VPN using SLED 10. After completing the install, tried to connect to a Cisco VPN using the terminal application, VPNC, and the error is binding to port 500 address already in use. And what's going on there is that at install time, this customer had selected to install a, a package for connecting a different VPN. Uh, the package is called Turnpike, and it also creates a service listening on port 500 uh, UDP. That's fairly common. That's in fairly common use by uh, UDP clients. Turnpike is what? Uh, is that like the border manager backend for like Novell VPNs or? I know that we use it, and uh, but I don't know if it's uh, anything to do with Border Manager. I believe it's uh, commonly used for Nortel VPNs. Oh, okay. All right. So um, VPNs, a lot of VPNs will connect out from the VPN client to the VPN server, uh, UDP port 500, and then the VPN server will connect back to the VPN client on UDP port 500. It causes all sorts of problems with uh, translating routers, uh, NAT devices. But nevertheless, this was a case where that had been installed and uh, when the customer tried to use the, their other VPN client, it wouldn't work because something was already using port 500. Kind of interesting because it's another case where the host was effectively misconfigured and it wasn't obvious uh, from point of use. But you look back on it and you think, oh yes, of course. If you're getting an error message saying uh, that binding to port 500 uh, address already in use, lsof-i, colon 500, and you should get a list of uh, open files, one of which will be a socket. Or how about uh, a, a netstat? Yeah, netstat would have been uh, Netstat's another favorite. That's my preference, actually. But as I keep saying, my way of doing things is better than everybody else's way of doing things, but their way of doing things is better than mine. Agreed. Okay, and with that, by the way, Randy, I would have done a net stat as well because the LS thing there, you know, yeah, everything's a, everything's a file in Linux and all that, but no, I wouldn't have known it. So um, I like your way better. And because of that, that's why I'm going to start ignoring Dave right now. And what do you got for us this it's week? It's easy to ignore him, isn't it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought uh, we could mention something that a lot of our customers don't necessarily know about a service that we provide, not just Novell, but many other vendors provide as well. And that service is called TSANet, and it stands for Technical Support Alliance Network. Now, how many times have you called um, technical support for whatever reason, and you're, you're talking to the support person, and they say, well, I'm sorry, it's not our problem, and they point to maybe another vendor's piece of software that you have running on your machine. And you call that vendor and they say, oh, I'm sorry, that's not our problem. And they point back to the original vendor. Ah, uh, the old support round robin. Now, that's not to say that here at Novell that would ever happen, but we are members of this technical support alliance network, along with some other major vendors that may be worth mentioning, if I can. 
oh, why not? It doesn't look like I'm going to be able to stop you. It's, yeah, it's exactly. It's, it's a nice list. I've just done some of the highlights here. Adaptec, CA, Citrix, Dell, EMC, Emulex, Fujitsu, Hitachi, HP, IBM, Intel, Microsoft, MySQL, Network, Appliance, Oracle, Pervasive, PolySurf, QLogic, Red Hat, Sun Microsystems, Sybase, Symantec, Toshiba, VMware, and Ziotech, just to name. Are there any beginning with a Z or a Z? There are. How about a Zone Technologies, Inc., both the go. Americas a, a and to Z. Europe? Yeah. All right. So then if you've got this big list of vendors that are um, willing to work with each other, what's this mean for Randy in support when you get somebody running that Fujitsu machine and they're maybe having all kinds of problems with this? Red Hat thing on top of it, trying to connect over to this Open Enterprise server or SUSE Linux server on the other that's, side. That's an awesome question. What that means really? to me, yeah, I was, I was shooting for just plausible. That was good. What that means to me is that rather than you know saying doing the shuffle and saying, well, I'm sorry, this looks like it's a problem on your sand device, for example, which Fujitsu makes sand devices. Um, I could say, well, customer, um, it does look like it's a problem on the SAN, whether it's configuration or whether it's an interoperability issue. I don't know, but I can open a TSA net call with that vendor, and we can work out the problem together. Okay, so in other words, this is a collaboration that you're now able to take part of, and people could call you in support or you know, say from Fujitsu, if they're the ones that first get the call, or vice versa. And there's a commitment between vendors that we will help each other to resolve customer problems. Exactly. And suffice it to say with that, there are different what they call communities in which uh, various vendors can belong. And not all vendors are part of all the communities. Not all vendors... Uh, support all of their products through all of the communities. And some vendors, in fact, a lot will require you to have a support contract with them in order to have this uh, cooperative effort going on. So, for example, um, if some one of our customers called in and we, you know, they have a support contract with us, yet they don't have a support contract with, in this case, Fujitsu, um, then Fujitsu may expect them to have one with them in order for them to continue working on that particular issue hmm. or that particular product. That makes it sound like it might be a little bit difficult for a customer. How does a customer manage to um, get all their ducks lined up on this one? And I don't know why ducks keep getting lined up in my conversation today, but they do. Why? How does somebody get past that? How does somebody get it so that they know that, okay, if I call Novell and the problem actually turns out to be Fujitsu, is there any, like, primer guide or anything like that where they can find out and they can make sure that they're buying things so that they can get the advantages of TSA? I would, yeah, the, I would suggest first when you sign your contract with any given vendor is check with them. Ask them, hey, are you a member of TSANet? And if so, what options do I need to add to this contract, if any, in order to be able to have you cooperatively work out an issue with Red Hat, with Novell, with whomever? The second line, again, then would be to go to TSANet's website, which, of course, we'll link to from the podcast, that will allow them to look and see, okay, is my vendor on their list? And which community of practice do they actually... Um, belong to. Ah, I see. So 
in other words, when making purchases, particularly large infrastructural purchases, this is something that somebody should put on their list of uh, different things to check off and to go Absolutely. through in order to know whether they're going to get the kind of support that they are going to expect. Absolutely. Okay, that's pretty cool. Anything else? I think that does it for TSA Net. If you have questions, again, refer to their website, which we'll link to from the podcast. Right on. Guys, thanks very much for coming in for another episode of News from Support. And we want to remind listeners one last thing. We still have the News from Support at Novell.com email address up. And we really would like to see your questions. And we'd love to get a couple questions in. And we haven't so far. I feel like this idea of mine, which I've subjected you guys to, isn't really coming to fruit here. It's not It's not bearing out. Well, let's get the word out. Well, we're going to run our commercial, Latvert, one more time. And if we get nothing after this one, you'll never hear about Ask Randy and Dave again. But let's play the commercial one more time. Hey there, Novell Open Audio listener. Do you have a nagging technical issue on Linux that you've been trying to solve? Do you ever find yourself wondering, what would Randy and Dave do? Well, now is your big chance to find out. Introducing Ask Randy and Dave, a new segment on Novell Open Audio. That's right, it's Ask Randy and Dave. Periodically, during an episode of News from Support, we'll select one listener's question based on its relevance, sophistication, and humorous quality. Then we will ask Randy and Dave. Now you can ask your oddball technical questions and get oddball technical hacks and workarounds from those two lovable support engineers, Randy Goddard and Dave Mayer. <clears throat> Actually, it's Senior Technical Support Backline Engineer Level three. Shut up, Dave. Simply email your question to newsfromsupport at novell.com. That's newsfromsupport at novell.com. If you submit your question by voicemail or in an emailed audio attachment, your question's chance of selection is more than doubled. And as always on Novell Open Audio, each winning question gets rewarded with an official I Ask Tough Questions t-shirt. So don't miss this exciting opportunity to ask Randy and Dave. And that's pretty much it for this episode. Remember, you can go to our website, novell.com forward slash open audio, and you'll find the upcoming episode for Greg Croa Hartman's interview. He's Colonel Hacker extraordinaire, does the device drivers, as Caitlin mentioned a little while ago. And post your questions there if you have any questions about the uh, kernel development process, device drivers, anything else. If you know who Greg Croa Hartman is and you want to get a question in, please do post it to the website. Remember that Novell Open Audio is a production of Novell Users International in conjunction with Novell Incorporated. All of our programs are guided by our listening audience and their requests, as well as their questions. You can rate any show by going to our website and clicking on that particular episode and letting us know what you thought about it by putting in comments or just clicking the rating buttons on it. That's pretty much it for this time. We'll see you next time.